Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and the sacred scriptures, along with a variety of issues and topics, all from a Catholic perspective. Wineskins is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our program today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on the modern world. We will also hear more information on St. Terebius of Mograveo. And today, as the Church celebrates the fourth Sunday of Lent, we will get a deeper insight into those particular Sunday readings. That and more on Wineskins. Catholic Charities is an important part of the life of the Church and her members. To share with us an important issue is Olivia Wall. So let's conduct a quick thought experiment. Imagine that I took a considerable amount of time to create or shop for a gift for you, that I presented it to you with special significance, and that you ended up treading on it or throwing it away. How do you think I would feel? That's precisely how taking care of our creation works. It's our obligation to care for, cherish, and regard this lovely and gracious treasure that God has given to us as a gift. By properly taking care of the creation, we honor the Creator. The protection of the environment is an obligation of our faith, not just a slogan for Earth Day. In order to live our beliefs in partnership with all of God's creation, we are called to safeguard both people and the environment. When we take care of the environment, we take care of the Lord's bounty, which is entrusted to each and every one of us. The environment ultimately serves as the basis for all of us to enjoy and meet our requirements, serving as the foundation for human life. It generates food, air for breathing, and rain that falls into bodies of water. Because God gave creation to us as a gift, our lives are also inextricably linked to it. And as such, we have a sacred obligation to respect it if it is to benefit us. The book of Genesis instructs us to care for and cultivate the natural world. But unfortunately, we've done a better job at cultivating than caring for it. The poorest individuals suffer the most when the environment suffers. Because they depend on the climate and the resources to survive, poor people are typically considerably more reliant on these factors. Their vulnerability to climate change is significant. Consider farmers. People cannot grow the same thing in the same place if the temperature rises by two or three degrees. Therefore, taking care of the environment also means taking care of our brothers and sisters. The Laudato Si encyclical by Pope Francis encourages all of us to preserve the environment. The call and how we answer it now are based on who we are. If we're young, it could simply mean recycling or cutting back on our consumption. If we're adults, it may entail making choices for our company and workplace that have a favorable impact on the environment, especially choices that consider the needs of the impoverished. In order to take care of creation, man and his surroundings must be united in some way in a mutually beneficial relationship. It would be extremely unfair if we left the earth as a wilderness after receiving the earth as a garden. The notion of the common good extends to future generations, the Holy Father tells us. Catholic Charities Diocese of Youngstown teaches the local Catholic school students in grades K-12 to about care for creation during the months of March and April through the First Step to Service program to instill this idea in future generations. We want instructors and their students to learn about the lovely world the Lord has given us and the value of treating it with care through the annual Care for Creation coloring contest, worksheets, YouTube videos, online quizzes, and more. Students are urged to engage in discussion and critical thought about how the actions we make today will impact the earth for the poor and vulnerable people in our communities as well as future generations. 
Additional information and resources are available on our website, www.ccdoi.org, and our social media pages, such as Facebook and Instagram. Our church gives us the season of Lent as a time of hope and rebirth each year, when winter is receding and spring is approaching. Catholic Charities wishes to inspire everyone at this time of year to take in the splendor of our planet as the flowers start to bloom, the birds start to sing, and the first rains of spring fall. We are grateful for the work that we do, the commitment of our employees and volunteers, our parishes and schools, as well as everyone else involved in the initiatives and services we provide to those in need on behalf of the church. Please join us in praying for the welfare of others. Be assured that you and your families are in our thoughts and prayers during this beautiful season. For Wineskins, I am Olivia Wall. St. Terebius of Mograveo was the first known saint of the New World. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. Terebius was a brilliant man from a wealthy Spanish family. He was a professor of law and a just judge at the court of the Inquisition. Unexpectedly, the Pope appointed Terebius, a layperson, as Archbishop of Lima, Peru. For seven years, Terebius visited every parish and mission in his diocese. He traveled thousands of miles without a companion, facing many dangers of wild animals and tropical diseases. Sometimes he went without food or a bed for two or three days at a time. The condition of the Indians in Peru horrified Terebius. Thousands of these uneducated people, though baptized, had little idea of their faith because there were no books in their language and no priests for the missions. People of the time had little regard for the poor. Terebius began to act. He gathered his bishops for a council. They decided to print a catechism in the Indian language, to set up classes for the poor, and to regulate the sacraments, and most of all, to reform priests who would rather serve the rich instead of the poor. Terebius learned the Indian language and baptized, confirmed, and built hospitals, and established the first seminary in the New World. With courage, he spoke out against the way the Spanish treated the poor. Terebius was visiting a mission when he became sick. He dragged himself to the church and asked for the sacrament of the anointing. Then he died in that little mountain town. He left all his belongings to his servants and the poor. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro from the Society of St. Paul. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we're going to discuss today is the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. The modern world, it's a very complex notion. Most of the church fathers had experienced living through world wars and civil conflicts. Some of them had been in prison themselves during the Second World War or had suffered under communism. They had every reason to see the horror of life and have an extremely negative view of humanity and its potential. But when they came to this document, even though they knew all of that, they were not naive. They came up with a document called Hope and Joy. I just love the opening lines of this document. Of course, it's called in Latin, Gaudium et Spes, the joys and hopes. But then it goes on, the griefs and anxieties. Yes. It's all of these different emotions that are joined together 
in who we are, but also in the church themselves. How and why does the church embrace these different feelings? Well, it has to be realistic, and it knows the power and depth and breadth of sin. It knows the values of the world, as it's been stated in the New Testament, which opposes the values of the kingdom of God. And we can see that everywhere we look. Nevertheless, we believe that the love that Christ unleashed on the world is stronger than the evil that grips the world. And we have to pastorally be realist and yet confident that the message we have will ultimately win the day. What's interesting is that this document, like I think all the documents of the Vatican Council, was to try to bring the church into the modern world. And we've only celebrated 50 years of that. How well have we done? How well has the church done to bring it into the modern world? Well, we've done it very well in multiple ways. First, the languages in which we pray That brought us up to speed with the languages of the world in our liturgies. That was an enormous advance. We have not been able, however, to keep up with the rapid upheavals caused by civil wars, civil conflicts, religious wars, religious conflicts, and lingering political divisions and superstitions between races and ethnic groups. There's a long way to go in that area. It's interesting because I visited the United Nations uh, not too long ago, and I remember the guide saying to us that at any one point in the world, there's about 42 to 52 wars going on in the world. That's really hard to comprehend that nations are at war with one another and with themselves. What does the church do, and how does the church exist in this whole complexity? Well, we hope that we'll be a peacemaking force in the world. Pope John XXIII wrote a classic letter, you know, Pachimenteris, Peace on Earth. But it is so difficult because ethnicity and nationality often trumps religion. So you'll have Catholics fighting against Catholics, both applying the just war theory to their own situation in almost an endless conflict. It's almost a situation where we now have not world without end, but war without end around the world. And the church has to pray for peace of people of goodwill. I'm wondering also if part of the war, and I know this comes out of the document as well, uh, is on atheism. How many actually do not believe in God or in a God? That is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that the atheists now are having evangelical zeal with spreading their unbelief. They even have, you know, atheist Sunday schools, you know, to teach the children what not to believe in, I guess. And they mock religion. And this mocking technique does have an effect on people who lack the critical skills to defend the faith. And They have been really growing in numbers, unfortunately, because they are impoverishing the atheistic community in their understanding of human potential and human destiny. I think another attack on us, uh, I say us as the church, on institutions like marriage and family life. Over the years, those have gotten bad raps. 
And in the light of this document, the church needs to reaffirm the sanctity of marriage, the value of family life. How do we do that in this day and age? Well, we are on the losing end from a human perspective. The pop culture has the grips of human imagination and movie and music on the internet, and it bombards people with these false values 40, 50 hours a week. Then the educational system in the public schools has basically embraced that pop culture ethics, which has been so detrimental to human progress and human development. We have to be like that small whispering voice that spoke to the great prophet Elijah, that small whispering voice of God, which delivers the truth of the divine to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. The other aspect of this document, but I think also that's countercultural, that whole sense of greed. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are people that are motivated and activated by money and economics. And yet so many in our world do not have basic necessities. What does the church in the modern world say about money and economics? Well, we have our whole history of social documents from Rerum Navarum up to Centissimus Annus, etc., from Leo XIV up until Pope Francis. But I like what Gandhi said. Gandhi said, the world will always have enough to meet human need but we'll never have enough to meet human greed. And that's exactly what we're seeing with greed unleashed in our world. I love that passage from the Acts of the Apostles, and we we read it always during the Easter season, how the faithful laid their gifts and treasures at the feet of the apostles, Mm -hmm. and they distributed them. So there was no one who had any want at all. Everyone was received the basic necessities of life. How important is that? for us as church to see that those basic necessities of people are realized? Well, we've done our best as a church, and internationally, Catholicism has done more for the poor than any other type of institution. We could be proud of that. But we also know that we need to help people stand on their own feet and to be able to make their own way in this world, providing for themselves food, shelter, and clothing. We've tried to do that through our educational institutions. Father Jeff, just one final comment on this particular document. Let's have hope and joy in the midst of a depressed world. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our Diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission. 
building up the life of the church, and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you. Our song today is from the CD called What Wondrous Love, Songs for Lenten Journey. It is by Stacy Burt and Father Bob Lenderich. As we celebrate this fourth Sunday of Lent, we will hear more about the sacred scriptures by Father Scott Kopp. He is pastor of Christ the Servant Church in Canton. Around us and even among us, there are those that enjoy watching others being punished. There is an apt German word for this, schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is the experience of pleasure, joy, or self-satisfaction that comes from learning or of witnessing 
the troubles, failures, or humiliation of another. In the church itself, there are too many calls for various people to be thrown out. And these same are the ones who are angry at the Holy Father and criticize him because he won't condemn or throw people out for various reasons. Even with excommunication, the person is still not physically thrown out. The call Pope Francis keeps making is one of accompaniment. While the person may be barred from receiving the sacraments for a time, they are still called to a path of conversion. And if thrown out into the darkness, that path will end. With accompaniment, there is still hope. But where does this mindset of wanting to see others punished come from? How then do such people treat themselves? What levels of perfectionism are they demanding of themselves? Or even worse, what blindness do they suffer from that they cannot see their own sin? If we feel this at times, the joy of others being punished, where does this come from? Why do we feel also that need to be punished? I believe it comes from our inability to accept forgiveness. The actors in this gospel are debating the nature of punishment, suffering, and sin. For what, or for whose sin, is this man being punished? For our own reflection, is this truly how we believe God works? Though the pandemic phase of COVID has ebbed, we will probably be stuck with it forever. We can now then reflect on the whole lockdown and think back to the early stages and how we felt at the time. God is not punishing us with COVID because of our sin. Is this illness caused by sin? The answer is no. God does not cause suffering or evil. God may allow illness or may allow things that appear bad or evil to us. God can also use bad situations and bring good out of them. So if we were in a situation where some things bad, evil, or sinful are happening, or we have gone down the wrong road, God can still use these if we open ourselves up to grace and be put back on the correct path or to a new phase of life. But that does not mean that God caused the evil or the sin in the first place. The reality of suffering, illness, or even the danger of death can be used as an opportunity to reflect on our lives. Have I been living the way I should? Am I prepared for my own end? What if I get sick? What will happen to family and friends? Why are some people sick and others healthy? Why was this man born blind? We do not know, but we can never say that it was because they sinned. Now, illness may be the result of particular types of sin, such as a lifetime of drinking too heavily or smoking. But sin itself does not cause physical illness as a punishment. Why did my grandmother die of cancer? Because she was a sinner? Or because her mother was a sinner? If I get sick, is it because my father was a sinner? This simply cannot be our fundamental theology of how God works. We have a loving God, but we do see evil. So we can only say that for some reasons God allows it. God gave us the gift of free will to choose. We can choose good or we can choose evil. Some bad things in the world and some suffering are the result of choosing evil. 
But God still has not taken away our free will so to choose. Why then do some of us have to suffer because of this other person's bad choices? Well, that is one of the eternal questions that I have for God if I make it to heaven. But no matter what people's choices, God keeps alluring us, keeps drawing us to Him. While not caused by God, sin does carry its own natural punishment. The way I have let other people down, the way I have let myself down, the things I have done that I should not have, the things I let go when I should have done or said something, these all carry their own natural punishment. Separation from the love and communion of God and from the bonds of loved ones. But sad for some that they are forgiven and not punished, as the feelings of remorse and forgiveness may be the hardest punishment for them. In that, we need to be able to accept God's forgiveness when accepting punishment may feel easier. We cannot understand it all, and we frequently ask, where is God in the midst of all of this? We can then use this opportunity to turn our questions, our longings, and our worries to a renewed sense of the necessity of God in our lives. The suffering will have been turned into a grace. How do we do this? By focusing on our mission and focusing on others. Through baptism, we have been given a mission. All our efforts to help others comes from a response to the love of God. The light of the world came for those groping in the darkness. We are all still suffering the effects of original sin. Though washed, we still walk in a fog. This original sin brings us back to Adam, just as the clay Jesus used to heal the blind man's eyes takes us to the creation of the first man. The clay is like a sacrament. Just as we were washed clean in baptism and continue to see again through confession, we are made a new creation so that we can see the needs of others. The great sadness in this gospel, as well in the hearts of those today that want to see others punished, is that they don't want to see the miracle. They can't see as God sees. They only see what they want. And so they remain blind. What a punishment they have brought on themselves. For Wineskins, I'm Father Scott Kopp. Blindness to grace, blindness to goodness, blindness to blessings, blindness to hope, blindness to mystery. These are the stubborn darknesses in which we roam. Let us open our eyes to see the Lord's goodness among us. Wineskins is a production of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. It is brought to you by the Annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. I'm your host, Father Jim Corda, wishing you a beautiful week. And remember that this week we celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity. 
But for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.